0: It must still be cold. Are you cold? Yeah. All right. Let's get warmed up. Try that one more time. Good morning, Covenant Family. Good morning. There you go. Yeah. See that kind of hot air? It'll warm us all up. All right. My name's Joel. If you're a guest with us, I'm one of the pastors here. I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word. If you are uh, using it electronically, go to Psalm 61. If you're using that old-fashioned book form of the Bible, you can just go right to the center. It should fall open right to the Psalms. We're going to be in the 61st today as we close out a series uh, that we've been in really since about mid-November called Non-Anxious Presence. While you're turning, uh, let me call your attention to these blue cards as well, Uh, especially if you are a first-time guest with us. We would love for you to just fill one of these out, let us know that you're here, let us know if there are any ways that we can pray for you. If you would like more information about the church, we don't sell a bunch of stuff, we're not high pressure, I don't show up unannounced at your house, Uh, but this is really the the easiest way uh, for us to maintain contact with you. And so if you could do that for us, or uh, if you're so electronically inclined, go to covenantexperience.com and just connect with us there. Uh, what, What a wonderful worship this morning. Just what a what a great, great Sunday so far. And there's more of that coming this coming weekend. I hope you're planning to join us for our Christmas Eve services. We're gonna have two of those uh, this coming Saturday afternoon and evening at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. They're identical. Please come on out, bring your family. Candlelight service, Silent Night, for those of you that, you know, you kinda of know the drill around here. Uh, those services have almost become an institution here. Uh, Over the years, they predate my time. They go back years and years and years. Now, for those of you wondering, well, well, why are we only doing two? Don't we normally do three or sometimes even four? We do, but you may have noticed that December 25th, Christmas Day, falls on a Sunday this year. Have you noticed that yet? All right, so what we want to do, because it's the Lord's Day, all right, and we gather on the Lord's Day. This is what the Christians have done for 2,000 years on the first day of the week And I read no exceptions in the scripture when it's a holiday. And so we're going to gather on the Lord's Day. Now that said, I know there are a lot of families represented, probably even in front of me right now, but especially those of you watching from home. And you've got certain traditions, and they may happen right on top of of on-campus worship at 9 o'clock. We understand that. And so there's actually an online production that will go live at 9, and you can watch that live or you can uh, go back and and watch the the pre-recorded video later. I would encourage you to watch it. You're going to see a lot of your family and friends there, even those of you planning to join us on the campus. So uh, I want to thank our production team that has done this just phenomenal job of putting all of that together. Uh, I I said in the beginning, let's do this so that our cameramen and women and our sound people won't have to consider Christmas Day a work day. We're gonna gather in our, our great room and we're gonna do church old school. I might actually even use a real Bible, right? No electronics, no microphones, no, it's gonna be awesome. It's going to be awesome, yeah. And so, uh, and so they get they get the day off. But of course, in order to do that, they had to work hours and hours and hours. So when you when when you watch that production online, just remember that just to be thankful for those men and women. They've done an awesome job. For that, And so uh, a little bit different, again, because Christmas Day is on a Sunday, but that's what it's going to be. So two services at 4 and 6 on Christmas Eve, one service in our great room, completely unplugged at 9 a.m. on Christmas morning. And for those of you who need some family tradition time, you've you've got that going on every Christmas, and so you want to keep that going, please join us online for that. But today, we finish a series, again, that we began some weeks ago called Non-Anxious Presence. Anybody anxious? I mean, it's just Christmas, right? Who's got all the gifts wrapped already? Would y'all believe I can actually raise my hand? That's never true. I don't know what's wrong with me. How many of you are still in the Amazon packages? Yeah, it's still. How many of you Amazon hadn't got here yet because you just ordered it yesterday? How many of you, and I'm, I imagine I'm speaking specifically to the men here, you're going to wait until Saturday morning and then you're going to get the deer in the headlights look and, and you're going to just run to the department store and there's going to be some sales lady there who's like looking at you like, oh yeah, bring the commission. <laughs> yeah, Are you one of those guys? Yeah. A lot of anxiety around this time of the year. Sometimes it's over sort of trivial things like that. Sometimes it's, it's over more serious things for some of you like our family. Uh, it was last Christmas. Actually, was the, the first Christmas without my wife's father. The Christmas before that was the first one without my mother. Some of you have one of the, some of those firsts coming, and that's kind of raising the anxiety level a little bit. It's certainly raising the grief level. And so this, this last message entitled "The Starting Point and the Finish Line" is basically a, a way of saying we're gonna we're gonna end this series the way we started by by just encouraging you. Through the Word of God to go back to the Lord and His eternal presence because nothing else is guaranteed. Nothing else is guaranteed. I was talking with a colleague back earlier in the fall, and he was talking about flying into a city far from his home, speaking at a conference, and he got picked up by the the host organization, had some college interns, and he got picked up by this young man in his early 20s, very articulate. excuse me, very just impressive, energetic young man. But on the way to the hotel from the airport, as he was driving, he started reflecting to my friend on how difficult life is, and particularly for his generation. And he remarked, and and my friend said, you know, I hadn't thought about this, but it's actually true, that Gen Z, those, especially like, like this young man, in the 20 short years of his life, he has never known a time when the world was not characterized, not, not like not just occasional episodes of this, but, but characterized by turmoil, by strife, by polarization, by all kinds of like even like family division, churches splitting over all kinds of things, and, and everybody just rolling waves of scandal in the lives of pundits, politicians and even preachers, that, that, that this generation has never known a time when those things were not. Prevalent. It may explain, actually, I think, why, why Gen Z, head and shoulders above any other prior generation, go to the emergency room twice as often for mental health emergencies as they do for broken bones and car accidents. That's the world that this young man lives in. That's the world that you and I who are a little older, that's not the world we've always experienced, but it's certainly the one that we're experiencing now. And we've been in a series about how followers of Jesus, regardless of the generation to which we belong, navigate such times faithfully. How do we do that? How how do we remain faithful to Jesus in that moment? And in that reality, when it's difficult to feel permanently tied to anything that prior ages saw as reliable, I'm speaking of institutions, I'm talking about trustworthy leaders, okay, guys that used to listen to on the radio all the time and they opened God's Word and then you found out all the the while that was going on, they were sleeping around or they were involved in some other kind of scandal, families even that have done that, that. That when you feel untethered, how many of you feel untethered? There's not really anything permanent, like, the, like even the, the human institutions, the family connections, the, whatever it is that for you at one point in your life felt permanent, now not only feels fleeting, you, you don't even feel tied to it anymore. How do you do that? that that's the challenge as, as we end this series together, and it's, I think it's a challenge we find in the, the poetic words that are in front of us here in the 61st Psalm, because these are eight verses of lament, David is grieving, but they're wrapped in a, a perpetual, lifelong request for God's help. So, and, and I think it, it helps us to understand who actually wrote this. These are the words of King David. King of Israel. That's noteworthy. If you don't understand the significance of this man, to get it, really all you have to do is get on a plane and fly to Tel Aviv, and anywhere you see a flag, there's his star. 3,000 years later, still flies over that nation, still is is an indicator of this man that those folks view as the greatest ruler in the history of Israel, going all the way back to the the ancient world, And, and for good reason when you think about it. David led this nation in the ancient world into their first golden age. For all intents and purposes, Israel was during the Davidic reign, the lone superpower in the world. And so with that in view, I am certain that really anybody, from the perspective of anybody under his rule, it probably looked as though command and control was not really a problem for him. He had all of this well in hand, and yet internally, especially when we read the Psalms, we see what's going on on the inside of the king as he cries out to God, not as one who has this command and control mentality, but as a, a little child, like we talked about last week, someone who's, who's helpless and that this is where he finds his strength. That star, 3,000 years later, still flies on a flag in the Middle East because David knew where his strength was found. Not in more control, not in more power, not in more money, but in the presence of God and being willing to go helpless in front of that God. So often that's what we think. We, if I just had more power, if I just had more control, if I just had a better situation, or maybe, I mean 2023 is coming, right? Maybe if I just had another year to start this in. I don't know what it is about us that makes us think that the, the clock ticking from December 31st to January 1st somehow changes everything. I'm not sure what that, you you, you all know that calendar is completely made up, right? I just, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to dash your hopes. Well, you know what? Actually, if you're putting your faith in that, I do. I want to dash your hopes. I I do. Uh, That's what it is. Like, and and so 2020 came and went, all of us were begging for 2021. And then 2021 came, y'all remember 2021? And we're like, 2022. And, And there were some of you that I heard, man, I'm done with 2022. I'm ready for 2023. And I heard it in March. Like, you, you were done. What if 2023 is worse than 2022? I don't get up and leave. There's hope coming. But oftentimes, in order to get to the real hope, you got to throw away the false hope. Okay? And, and false hope is, is no more embodied than, than when that ball is dropping in New York City. And we think that somehow that means we just get to press the reset button on everything. There's absolutely nothing hopeful in that. And so what we want to look at today is, you know, we finish at the starting line being reminded no matter what next year brings, no matter what our current circumstances are, the promises that we've seen, that we've read about, they can be yours, they can be mine. Our external situation does not have to get better for peace to reign in our hearts. It doesn't. So here's the challenge as we head toward the holidays. Full steam ahead. It's coming, right? Another new year together as families, as a church, and even more uncertainty to live the kind of non-anxious life that we've seen described in God's word, to live that kind of life is to live a life that begins and ends with the very full and complete dependence on God that we see in David's life here. But in order to do that, you've got to see this God all right? You're waiting on it to get better. You're waiting for there to be a time when you don't take another gut punch after the last one that you took. And I pray that for you too. I would much rather my life be better than worse. I want your life to be better rather than worse. I want that for you. The, the, The issue though is God's word tells us that's not where ultimate peace is found. Because if those moments stop, if the turmoil stops, eventually, in a fallen world, it's going to start back again. But there is a permanent sense of a peaceful presence that can reign in your heart. But you have to look at God for that. And you need to, apparently, from the 61st Psalm, you need to know five things about this God. Because that's what David gives us. There's five reasons in this Psalm why it is the case that it is only full and complete dependence on God that leads to the kind of non-anxious presence that we've been challenged to embody over these last few weeks. The first is this. God is the only sure thing. I don't know if you figured that out yet or not, but it's true. There's nothing else that is completely sure in this world except him. In verse 1, David says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the end of the earth. I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David says, "Hear and listen. If you look at this in the Hebrew, the the parallelism is is really set up to get the attention of whoever reads this poem. David is saying, "Lord, pay attention to me." You ever felt that way? "Lord, pay attention to me." Yeah, I'm I apologize for breaking this up. There's some kind of conversation going on in the lower lobby and whatever, wherever that's happening. If y'all could Uh, close that door, please. Thank you very much. Sorry, your preacher's ADD just kicked in. All right. Pay attention to me. You ever felt that way in the the Lord's presence? God, I'm here. Where are you? That's what he's doing. And then having said that, he says, lead me to the rock that, that is higher than I. And then comes the reason for this desperation. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. So that there's, there's a locative description there, and it reveals somebody that perceives themselves far away, right? I, from the end of the earth. I am away from the comfort of the familiar. The things that 30 months ago were familiar to me, the things that 12 months ago, the people that were here that are no longer here this Christmas, they're, they're, and, and my heart grows faint as a result of that. He perceives himself to be in a weak and feeble condition. I don't know if you've been there or not recently. But I would say it's safe, I think it's safe to say over the past 30 months that that I don't have to ask that question anymore. I I don't have to ask because the whole world has pretty much been there and some of the most familiar things we took for granted all of a sudden disappeared from the relative peace we thought we would always have with our neighbors to just, I don't know, the ability to buy toilet paper. Y'all remember those days? All the little 99 cent things that we thought we could count on, all that tangible shifting that we sensed, Man, this isn't just about toilet paper. There's something bigger going on. There's like massive change in our world, and it's left us feeling feel, feeling isolated, and exiled, and helpless. That's where David is. Lord, I am far from home. I am far from you, and I am worn out. I am tired. That's what he means here. My heart is faint. That's not just physical exhaustion. Physical exhaustion is easy to fix. You just take a nap. You just go to sleep. We talked about that last week. Jesus knows the difference between merely going to sleep and actually getting rest. There's a weariness of life that David is expressing here that all of us have experienced if we've been an adult longer than just a couple of years. It's a weariness that brings somebody to the point of despair. Ask, in fact, any mental health professional in this room right now who tomorrow morning will go back to long lines of people who have needs that exceed his or her capacity to help. That's where we are with mental health right now in our culture. And those people will tell you. There's a lot of faintness of heart out there, and David embodies that here, that very sentiment that our entire culture is experiencing at this moment. My heart is faint, and in his moment of faintness, he reacts with these words, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Rock, in Scripture, is a metaphor for strength. I'm weak, I'm helpless, I need strength. The world has worn me out, so I am coming to you. I'm coming to you. And so in, in moments like we've faced these last few months, in moments like I'm certain individually and as family units so many of you have faced, like David, here, here's where this psalm starts. There really is only one place you can go. And, and here's the irony of that. In a world with internet connectivity and medical technology and all the kinds of things that we think are going to fix a problem, God tends to be the last place we go. Let, let me, did you know that? I, I'm I'm gonna prove it to you. They did a mental health study of everything that transpired during the pandemic. Every single category of person, their mental health quality went down, not up. It didn't matter what generation you were. It didn't matter what race or ethnicity you were. It didn't matter what socioeconomic category. Money couldn't solve this. There was one category in wh- of people in which their mental health actually improved rather than got worse. During the pandemic, you know what the difference was? Weekly church attendance. Yeah, now this this is. Now I haven't gone to the Bible. I'm just giving you. I'm just giving you broad stats. If you don't believe me, send me an email. I'll send you the report. It's right there. Weekly church attendance. People who decided. You know what? I'm going to come i 'm going to make this a priority i 'm going to now what 's what 's happened to, to church participation overall it 's gone down, not up hasn 't it 's gone down, not up. What does that tell you? People are running every witch away trying to look for peace, and they 're never going to find it until they look at the one place where it can be found. now are there churches that are that where God is not? sure there are sure there are church doesn 't equal the presence of god i 'm not saying that at all I am saying People that prioritize the presence of God in their life, you, you begin to see that in their habits. And this is what you see in David's habits. I, I'm going to the rock who is higher than I. Like David, there's, there's that one place that we can go, but it's a God who's bigger than us. And because he's bigger, he's the only sure thing. Here's more good news. That sure thing is faithful. He says in verse three, you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Now, there's an enemy, David. David's, David had a lot of enemies. And really, if you're a man of his stature, a man of his notoriety, a man of his power, then then even if you don't mean to make enemies, you're going to make enemies. You you just are. Fame brings enemies. Power and control, they bring enemies. And and so this enemy in, in this particular psalm is unknown to us. We don't know who it was, what it was, but whoever or whatever this enemy is, it's the reason for his faint heart and feeling of weakness. And so that could be anything in our lives as well. Maybe there's a personal foe that, at work or even in your own family. Every time, every time you encounter them, you get faint of heart. You have people in your life that just wear you out. Every time you see them, you walk away discouraged. Maybe it's a bully at school, if you're in middle schooler high school. Maybe it's a public or national enemy of a nation. Just in general, the the enemies of God, it can also mean that. But, But whatever the circumstance, person or situation, really, it brings us to the same place emotionally where David finds himself here. And Ephesians 6 reminds us that our fight is not ultimately against flesh and blood. So whatever exhausts me or makes me weak or sends me reeling... There are spiritual forces at work behind it that want my destruction, and they want your destruction. And and with that understanding, anxiety can feel like an enemy that we cannot escape. And so David reminds us in verse 3, over against all these things, God is our sole but reliable place of protection. Who remembers tornado drills in school? Do they still have them? I guess they probably do tornado drills. Actually, I grew up during this period of history that some of you who are younger maybe have read about called the Cold War. And, And so because of that, there was a nuclear reactor, a large one, about 50 miles immediately south of where I grew up in upstate South Carolina. And we had nuclear drills, I guess because of some perceived Russian attack, that we could go and find a place of safety. And do you know what we did? as elementary school students, as middle school students, the exact same thing we did in a tornado. I don't know what those government-made desks are made out of. (laughs) But apparently, like even as a middle schooler, I'm thinking, well, y'all are, you guys are teaching me chemistry. I'm trying to put two and two together here. I don't know how this uh, pressed together sawdust over the top of my head is going to protect me from a nuclear blast, but whatever. All right, I'm just going to get down and I'm going to, right? That's what you do. Get you down. Know, shelter in place, that's the new word now. And there was protection, right? i got to tell you, there have been times in recent days it feels like that's all the world can offer, just a cheap government desk to hide under. That's it. David says, you know what, there's a God who actually protects, and, and he does that in a number of ways. And that, that, That's why I say it's simplistic. It, we, we, wanna, we want you to look to the Lord. We want you to make him your highest priority. Nothing else happens without that. But that's not the same thing as this sort of trite syrupy thing of saying Jesus is enough as, as is to suggest that, that Jesus doesn't come to you in things like proper mental health care or sometimes even medication or treatment, depending on what those providers discover, that that, that Jesus can't come to you in support from other people, your own family, your friends, your, your church family. Those things are not mutually exclusive from God's provision of protection. In fact, they're often the very gifts that he gives us. But here's the great news we find. God, however he does it, and with whatever gifts and tools he uses to help us, is always faithful to give us whatever we need. So those things that I'm tempted to turn to, I need this to work out, I need that to go over better, I need a new set of circumstances. And I'm reminded in the 73rd Psalm, David says another statement, very, very powerful, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. Think about that. No, right right in the middle of of all of this confidence in God, you are all I have and you are all I desire. Right in the middle of it, did you read the fine print? My heart, my flesh may fail. All that stuff I want to work out, all those relationships that I want to be solid, all of that money that I think I need to retire, all of that, my heart and my flesh and my property, and my 401k, and my value, and my children, and my mental health, and my employer, and my government, and everything I've ever known and counted on getting caught up in all these global shifts may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is forever faithful. This faithful and sure God Here's the the further good news. He welcomes you and me. Verse 4, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. That's another poetic description this time of, of one who knows he is welcome in God's presence. Remember Jesus' invitation last week that we read? Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. If your heart is faint, I'm your destination. Come to me and I will give you rest. You are welcome. And his statement along with the the one we read here is not mere sentimentality. And we know that because of his reference to hearing the vow. You have heard my vows. Now you may not immediately know the connection there, but if you go over to Psalm 56 particularly verses 12 and 13. I'm not going to read them. We don't have time for that today. It sheds a lot of light on what this means. It's a reference to the peace offerings that we find described in Leviticus chapter 7. And so when, when David simply says, um, let me dwell in your tent forever, oh God, you have heard my vows, that, that's a reference to an offering that was given every time God provided for his people as a celebration of his provision. David says, you know what? I remember a lot of offerings. And the reason I remember a lot of offerings is I remember a lot of times when you provided, you have heard my vows. Hear this, brothers and sisters, and know it and believe it and rest on it, live by it. Because of Jesus, we always have and always will be welcome in the presence of God. Always. And that welcoming posture, the one we saw so clearly last week in Jesus' own invitation. Remember John the Baptist was even starting to doubt who he was. Are you, are you really the Messiah? Are you, where, and that ends how? Oh my goodness, John's given up. I'll tell you what, John just must be a reprobate. No, it, be, it starts with, of all men born to women, there was no one greater than John. And it ends with, come to me, all you who are heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come to me. Come to me. You are welcome. So God is a sure thing. He's the only sure thing in this world. God is faithful. He's always going to come through. And God always welcomes us into his presence. Here's further encouragement. God is forever present. He's forever present. Verse 6, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Now, now this, is a, this language is kind of foreign to us just because of where we live, okay? In the words of that theologian bandit Darville from the movie Smokey and the Bandit, <laughs> it really depends on what part of the world you're standing in as to just how dumb you are. You remember that line? Okay? So we we have a context and a place, and we're finite people. And, and so when we read uh, any kind of reference to prolonging the life of the king, that, that's going to be foreign to a group of people who live in a country that we inherited from people who rebelled against the monarchy. Okay? And, and in that rebellion, which I think was a good thing, all right? Don't, don't get me wrong here. But but in that rebellion, we, we lost connection with, with some of the thoughts that are being expressed here. So, so in order to get that, probably the, the closest historical example would be our British neighbors. So, I'm going to speak to that in just a moment. But, but within any monarchy, going all the way back to, to the ancient world, the mentality was such that, that it was just understood. If, a prayer for the king was synonymous with prayer for the country. God save the king. God save the queen. What did that mean? It was synonymous with God, preserve the British Empire. God, preserve us. We we pray for this. And so David, in praying for himself, is also praying for the people he rules and for those who will come after them and for the kings who will rule after him. But this is a, a reflection of God's ongoing presence, that David one day is going to die. God never dies. Okay. So, so several months ago, we watched our British neighbors cross the ocean, mourn the death of their queen. And if you watched any of that at all, or you just read, read about it on the internet or in the newspaper, you, you got a glimpse inside the symbolism that's associated when a monarch passes. We haven't seen that in like two generations. This queen lived a long, long time And so it it was kind of cool. I thought to get reacquainted with some of that. As her son, now King Charles III, ascended to the throne, her coffin, which carried her remains from her place of death in Scotland to other parts of the realm, to Buckingham Palace, and then finally to to her resting place at St George's Chapel at Windsor, was draped by something called the Royal Standard flag. Now that flag signifies the sovereign ruler over a kingdom. Now, you think about that for a minute, because she's, she's not with us any longer. She's dead, and that, that thing's draped over her coffin. That could be a, a very bad thing, a very bad sign, but here's, here's the thing. That flag has been used for this purpose since 1603, and unlike either the Union Jack or other British flags, in more than 400 years, that flag has never flown at half staff. Okay. We have a school shooting here. A member of Congress dies. Someone notable passes away. And what do we do? All of a sudden, the president orders every U.S. flag out of respect, right? And out of a recognition that there's been a death, there's this big vacuum. There's a a vacuum of leadership. There's There's someone who was once there who's not there anymore. Here's the thing. While that flag covers the queen's coffin, did you know it simultaneously flies over every castle and carriage that her son sat in at the same time? This is why it never flies at half mass, because in all that time, England has never been without a sovereign. And so I want you to read that back into these words. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. Think about this example connected to David's prayer here with his background and promise to David in 2 Samuel. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your business, in other words, David, you're gonna die. But when that happens, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so the, the Davidic covenant made this promise David, there will always be someone from your line sitting on the throne of Israel. So, how can that happen? How, how does that work? I mean, it, it wasn't much longer, maybe a, a few hundred years after the Davidic dynasty, Israel didn't even exist anymore. It wouldn't exist for thousands of years. It came back into existence in 1948, but it ain't the same Israel. There's no monarchy. They actually work a little bit more like the British parliamentary system. Where's their king? Where is this? How can this promise be made true? Look at Jeremiah 23, beginning in verse 5. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You know what that means? Just like in Great Britain, that even as the flag drapes over the coffin of the queen, it simultaneously flies over carriage and castle that contains the king. That's what we're told here. For 3,000 years, the Davidic dynasty has never flown at half-staff, and it never will. It never will. Because the son of David, whose name is Jesus, sits on that throne and his rule will never, ever cease. Now, that's, that's important to us even in our most painful moments, especially so, I think, because we're never promised the continuation of anything in this life. Yeah, nothing. I mean, one, one, of the, one of the greatest sins that we can commit corporately is a collective obsession with protecting a quote unquote way of life. Did you know that? We just, the, the continuation of our culture, civilization, jobs, circumstances, even in our health. We don't, you don't take that for granted. One day it's going to be taken from you. And, and we've all had sort of minor experiences, some of us major experiences with that, having some big bright spot in our life just automatically taken from us. I remember as a middle school kid really as an elementary school kid all the way through middle school. So from the time my my grandfather died in 1978, both of my paternal grandparents were older when my dad was born. And so they were both gone by the time I was two years old. And so by the time I was out of diapers, I only had two left. And my, my papa died in 1978. And starting around 1980, all the way up until about 1986, almost without fail, every Friday night, I would leave my parents' home, and I would walk roughly one mile down two country roads from their house to my grandmother's house. Now, I didn't grow up in a toxic house. I grew up in a generally healthy home. But, but my grandmother, man, she was just that place of safety for me. You got somebody like that in your family, or maybe you had somebody like that in your family. She always welcomed me with a big hug. She always had biscuits waiting the next morning. Those were nice. carrot syrup, biscuits, and butter. Now, my memories are coming back, right? Um, She's the one who taught me how to drink coffee. Actually, she taught me how to drink creamer and sugar with a little (laughs) bit of coffee in it. (laughs) Because when you're nine years old, right, that's, that's where it goes. And so, you know what I found there, though? Place of safety. One Friday, I was walking. All of a sudden, I saw my mother's car blow past me at an incredibly high rate of speed. And I wondered, I mean, you kind of know, well, something must be wrong. Why would she be driving that fast? I got to the crossroads, and it's maybe a football field's length from the crossroads to my grandmother's driveway, and that's when I saw the ambulance. And as a 14-year-old kid, just like that, that big bright spot, that support, that welcoming presence was ripped out of my life. Now, that's been a long time since that moment which is why I can talk about it without crying my mom's been with the Lord since 1986 she loved Jesus I'm grateful for that but that was an incredibly painful moment it followed me all the way up until and even beyond meeting and marrying my wife dealing with that kind of loss and, and that kind of that kind of grief some of you have experienced similar losses there's another person that's gone for some of you this will be the first year that chair's empty And you're wondering how in the world you're going to deal with it. Maybe your own health is gone. Maybe there's relative safety that you once felt because of all the shifts going on around the world. That sense is gone. There is a king who beckons you into his presence whose standard will never be lowered. He is forever with you. And because of that, he's worthy. This is where verse 8 brings us. So I will ever sing praises to your name. I will perform my vows day after day. Now what more appropriate response could there be to this God than I'm going to sing praises, which is another word for worship, and I'm going to perform my vows, which is another word for obedience. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the, the very tribe in Ecuador that they were trying to reach with the gospel, used to say all the time, when tragedy surrounds you, when you don't know what's coming, just do the next right thing. Just do what's right. And I said that in the beginning. There are all these reasons that David gives that we can live non-anxiously. And if all of this is true, then that means there truly is a God. That And he gives us capacity even in times like these. And if that's true, isn't that God worthy of your worship? Isn't he worthy of all of these things? One of the pastors I most admire, and probably from the time I was in my early 30s up until now, has continued to influence me, which means he's influenced you, so you deserve to know who these people are, is Tim Keller. Dr. Keller is retired from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. His ability not only to expound scripture, to speak pastorally to situations, to deal with issues of culture in a way that doesn't war against the culture, but at the same time speaks truth into it. I just I have admired him from really from the from the time he moved from a country Presbyterian church in Hopewell, Virginia, to Manhattan to start Redeemer. And so it saddened me to learn in May of 2020 that after just a few years, he retired from Redeemer in his late 60s. He would continue to speak. He would continue to write books. He would continue to influence. He just would not be the full-time pastor any longer. But just a couple of short years after his retirement, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. In his late 60s, And i got to tell you, in a moment like that, you're you're tempted to go negative, aren't you? Lord, look at this man. Why are you taking such a man from us? Why? We're we're tempted to go there, aren't we? Where's the justice in that? But then I actually started listening to Dr. Keller talk about this experience. And over the past few years, there have been a lot of ups and downs. He's still with us. He's still with us for the moment. And a lot of those ups, including encouraging extensions to his life that his physicians didn't count on. Because the great physician decides when you come home. Right? And so that, that was all great. But he still has cancer. And the end is getting closer. And Dr. Keller's getting weaker. And just a few weeks ago, my friend Russ Moore interviewed him. And He simply asked this question. He said, Dr. Keller, with all that's going on in our world, with so many, especially the young, who've never known a time when we didn't have this kind of turmoil in our world and they're fearful and they're anxious, what would you say to those people who are so nervous about the future? Now, I got to tell you, you can speak tritely as an old man. Yeah, that can happen. But I, I don't think there's much more street cred than a guy dying from stage 4 pancreatic cancer asked that question. Do you? And so here was his answer. And at first he said, that he said, well, the first thing you have to do is just admit that life is tough. You, you can't deny the reality that's in front of you. In fact, he said, Kathy and I, that's his wife, we, we cried together just this afternoon because we sensed that after 40-plus years of marriage, our time together... Is coming to an end. It's coming, it's getting shorter every day. He said, but here's what I do know no matter what our fears or weaknesses or illnesses, if Jesus is raised from the dead, everything's going to be okay. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're afraid of, it's going to be okay. And And then he, with a big grin, he looked into that Zoom camera and he said, and Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Folks, here's the even better news. According to Romans 8, Jesus' resurrection doesn't just mean I can live forever, you can live forever. It also means that the whole planet is going to be redeemed and restored one day. All right. Now, I don't know how. I don't know what it's going to look like. I have the faith to believe God and take him at his word. It's going to be better than anything we've ever experienced in this world. But it's a promise we have. It's written down clearly in Scripture. It's revealed to us by God who is sovereign, who controls all things, and who welcomes us into his presence when we don't think there's anywhere left to go. And so my question for you this morning is, do you believe that? Can you say with David, Whom have I in heaven but you? Can you say with David, there is a rock that is higher than I? Can you say with David, you are my refuge and my strong tower against the enemy? That that is what one 19th century preacher used to describe as the end of anxiety. And again, I want to be very, very careful here. Doesn't mean you may not still need treatment. Doesn't mean you may, not, may still not need help. I'm not being trite about that. I'm just saying the beginning of the end of living in turmoil is to see this God for who he has revealed himself to be to you and to know not, not only is he all of these things, but the very thing that we're going to celebrate over the next seven, eight days is absolutely true. He became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. That's your gift. That's my gift. So let's, let's grab onto that with all of our might, shall we? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the comfort that we get. Lord, and we pray for, for wisdom in moments like this when we are tempted to want something over here and you are calling us back to yourself instead. And you're saying you're never, you're never going to find your answers over here. Lord, would you widen our view by the power of your Spirit, break us of our propensity to go running as we feel untethered from temporary things, to just go running to other temporary things. And give us the grace to come back to you. Give us the, the, the feeling that comes with the pleasure of your presence And may we dwell in the house of the Lord forever as a result. I pray that for every man, woman, boy, and girl listening to me right now. I pray for those who don't yet know you, that they would find that peace today by putting their faith in your death and your resurrection. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God and if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here. I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.